Greetings, Word Horde. We're here with an exciting option for you, a version of our podcast without any ads. That's right. No advertising interruptions, just the content you love, ready to go in your favorite podcast apps like Spotify and Apple Podcasts. It's another way to support the show, ensuring that we keep bringing you the word stories and language explorations that you love. Try it at waywardradio.org slash adfree. And it's affordable. For just a small subscription fee, you can enjoy Away With Words uninterrupted, except by us. Plus, it makes a great gift. Know somebody who loves language as much as you do? Give them the gift of words. Easy to sign up, easy to enjoy. It's the same Away With Words, just streamlined for your listening pleasure. Go to waywardradio.org slash adfree. Support us, support the show, and enjoy an ad-free listening experience. waywardradio.org slash adfree. Thank you. Support for Away With Words comes from Mosey Online Backup. Mosey protects your valuable computer files against data loss from hard drive crash, viruses, theft, and other disasters. Visit mozy.com. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. Think about all the written communications you read and write every day, all those emails, all those text messages. Am I the only one who thinks it's led to an outbreak of exclamation marks? Actually, I know I'm not, because there was a long essay recently in the Guardian newspaper in which columnist Stuart Jeffries argues that the exclamation mark is enjoying a renaissance. And Grant, I think it's true, don't you? Yes, really? Uh-huh. I'm so excited. How do you I always wonder, how do you read that stuff, Martha, when you see an exclamation mark? If you if you read it aloud, what does it do to your voice? Because I, I have a hard time forcing that kind of enthusiasm, which I know you do. What, no, but it seems to be what the exclamation marks are calling for. That I'm supposed to sound really excited when I read whatever they have to say. Well, it's funny that you have that reaction to it because um, one of the things it says in the article is that women in email tend to use exclamation marks a lot more than men. But you know what? I have to admit, and maybe you've seen this in my emails to you, Grant, I mean, I'm a little embarrassed at how often I use exclamation marks, but it just it just seems to make more sense to me in email. We've talked on this program before about linguistic restitution, which is when you add something to written text in order to kind of make up for the fact that nuance is lost in print that might otherwise be obvious when you're speaking aloud. You're paying back this written content with an exclamation mark so that you can let somebody know, for example, that you're kind of joking or that you have a, um, you have something else on your mind, that mm-hmm. you're, you're being lighter. So if I said, um, give it back to me, period, you might think, um, he's really upset about me borrowing the book and not, you know, not returning it. If I mm-hmm. said, give it back to me, exclamation mark, well, you might automatically assume maybe that I'm a little more being a little more lighthearted about it. Yeah, I, I think put, I'd hear a little lilt in your voice. Yeah, you would know that I probably was joking because the exclamation mark is generally a positive mark, right? Yeah, but I wonder if the medium of email in particular draws exclamation marks out of people. I mean, I have actually begun to um, just write emails the way I feel them and then go back through them and start picking out the exclamation marks like a typographical lint. I mean, it's kind of of embarrassing. Aren't you depriving yourself of some of your natural character, though? Well, your recipients Mm. aren't really getting the real you? Mm, That could be. Well, if you've got something to tell us about the overuse of exclamation marks or any other punctuation for that matter, by all means, pop it into an excited email to words at waywardradio.org or give us a telephone call at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or just stand on the rooftop and shout. <laughs> Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, thanks for taking my call. This is Dean Collins calling from Hartford. Hi, Dean, from Hartford, Hello, Connecticut. Dean. Yes, welcome. Yep, Hartford, Connecticut. What's on thanks. your mind? I was wondering if you could tell me the uh, origin of the word bogart as it's used in, like, hogging things. Like, you know, don't bogart that drink. Let me have a sip. Mm-hmm. Oh, drink is what they're not bogarting? <laughs> yeah, well, that could be something. Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, uh, where I work sometimes, it's used even about, like, time in a meeting. Sorry to bogart all the time in this meeting. Ah, uh, really? What kind of work is it? Insurance? Uh, yeah, insurance. Yeah, good guess. Yes. Ah, right. Hartford, you Hartford know. right. 
and, that's and not but, you all know, they the, do in Hartford, but <laughs> quite a few. No, that's companies. true. But there are a lot of big business there is insurance. You've probably heard this term for a long time, though, right? Since college days. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Grant, uh, what are yeah, you getting at? Around it. And back then, it was definitely a, a different connotation. Uh, with oh, we can the, talk the, about it. We're culture. all adults here. We don't have to giggle a little bit. You're talking about <laughs> don't bogart that joint, right? Yeah, that's right. Well, that was a song, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your question is bogart. How did that come about? And and you probably guessed that it's connected to the actor, right? Well, Humphrey Bogart. Yeah, I guess. Although I couldn't imagine how. Yeah, it is. It is. And you know, the original meaning of to bogart, the verb, meant to, it was to bully or to intimidate, as in uh, to, to bogart your way into a club, you know, kind of bully the bouncer into letting you into a club that he otherwise might refuse you entrance to, right? And it dates oh. to about the 1950s. But then a little later, uh, by the late 1960s, the meaning of to bogart had changed just enough that it meant to hog something or kind of like, you know, strong arm something where you like you assume total control over it, especially a joint. And as a matter of fact, most people heard this term for the first time in the movie Easy Rider, in which one character says to another, don't bogart that joint, pass it over to me. Huh. Okay. So, so I mean, that was a, if I remember correctly, Martha, you may remember better than I do, that was a huge film at the time, right? Oh, yeah, it was huge. Did you see it, Dean? Uh, Peter Fonda, right? I, right. I've seen parts yep. of it on cable, but not, I've never watched the whole thing. And that was 1969 that that movie came out. So so from there, and, and it still lingers. It's funny about to, to Bogart. It actually continuously shows up on lists of slang collected at college campuses, even today in the 2000s. And many of the young people in college today believe it's contemporary to their peer group, that, that somebody, you know, one town away came up with it or that it's something that's relatively new or novel. And they are shocked to find that in some cases it's older than their parents. So, Grant, why well, Bogart as opposed to Gable or Mathau or... Uh, there's something... Uh, Bogart was... He was tough. There was something about his face and his voice, right? Yeah, he, yeah. He had a force of personality and a, and a character that really just said, look, you really want to do what I'm asking you to do, right? That was what was in his eyes and then, like, the way he cocked his head and, and his intonation. He was a great actor. And so when they gave him these, these bad guy roles or even the good guy roles where he, uh, you know, he went a little sour before the end of the film, he somehow turned rotten, it, he's incredibly persuasive. You just go watch those old Bogart films. The man has got some force He's got power, and even when he's sitting there smoking a cigarette, doing nothing, uh, he'll make you do what he wants you to do. You're going to look where he wants you to look. You're going to think what he wants you to think, and through his acting, you're going to feel what he wants you to feel. So I could totally see how this term might come about because of, uh, of, of great acting. Is it still used in that bullying, intimidating sense at all? Or? Not really, no. That's pretty much gone. Although, as you noted, the, the fact that it's used to mean don't hog anything, mean it's kind of stepped out of really slangy, English that has to do with um, drugs and young people, and now you'll find it in the workplace, and you'll hear it on the radio, and it'll pop up in movies, and it's it's something that's kind of lost it. It's still slangy, but it's lost kind of the counterculture connotations that it had. But Dean, thank you for calling. I hope we helped. Oh, thank you very much, and I won't bogart any more of the airtime. <laughs> All right, take <laughs> Thanks, care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Don't Bogart That Joint was by Little Feet, and it was used in the movie Easy Rider. It was on the soundtrack. Okay. So All that right. explains something there. It's kind of circular, right? Okay. Yeah, right. Well, if you're curious about a word, give us a call. The number is 1-877-929-9673, or you can email us, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Lisa from Palo Alto, California. Well, hello, Lisa. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you? Well, I have been thinking. I've been talking to friends about this issue, and I finally decided that I think we need to coin a new word for, I don't want to call it a phenomenon. Let's just call it the feeling that you get when you've been listening to someone on the radio for a long time, and then you accidentally... I say accidentally because I try not to see pictures of these people. See a picture of them, and it's nothing like you imagined they were. Yeah, they're not pretty, are they? (laughs) Well, no, it's not necessarily (laughs) even that. (laughs) That's not it. It's not necessarily even that. It's just that they don't look at all like you imagined in the theater of your mind. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Oh, I get that completely. Oh, they have to say sometimes I, I, sh- I should. I'm joking that they're not pretty. When I first saw Melissa Block from NPR the first time, I said, "What a lovely woman!" I was amazed because I just thought uh-huh. she was going to be an ordinary person like the rest of us. But actually, she's 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 very appealing in every way. And now, when I hear her, I'm more interested in what she has to say. Right. She's and that other MB too. You had the same experience with that other MB, mm-hmm. right, Grant? Yeah. I don't know who you're talking about. <laughs> so who who Lisa? Who are we talking about here? Well. Who, who, I- there have been a couple, but the most recent one, I think, has been Ira Glass from This American Life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh. He, you know, I mean, I've been listening to him for years, and he's aged a little bit, but his voice hasn't really aged at all. <laughs> I'm going right? to tell him you said that. <laughs> he sounds a little bit like a 17-year-old, and I don't know, for some reason, I've always envisioned him as, I mean, I knew he wasn't 17, right. but I've always envisioned him as sort of a uh, scruffy, kind of a hippie guy with kind of a shaggy, shaggy hair and, uh, you know, a, a T-shirt that says something clever. Now, that's Grant. No. I wear wear work shirts, not T-shirts. So, Lisa, I agree with you. I think we have to have a word for this. Uh Uh-oh. You got suggestions, Lisa? That's why I'm calling you. I needed a lexicographer for this. That's you, Grant. Oh, oh, Radio Freuda. I don't know what you'd call it. (laughs) Radio Freuda. I'm afraid of my radio. (laughs) Well, I was struck by the fact that you said that you... It sounds like you go out of your way not to see pictures of these people. I actually do, especially if I've been listening to them, you know, and really like them and been listening for a while. I've found that it's just sort of, it's it's as if you're, you've read a novel and then they make it into a movie. And oh, yeah. You don't agree with the casting. Yeah, <laughs> or, and then that's once a you, great analogy. And then yeah. once you see the movie, if you go back and reread the book, the movie characters stomp it. all yeah. over yeah, <laughs> your imagery from the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you're talking specifically about radio hosts, the the word that I've just made up for myself and used that way is hostbusters. It's a hostbuster oh, experience. <laughs> that's good. You know, because it just it just blows your image all to, <laughs> to smithereens. But you know, yeah. Lisa, the reverse is true. Radio people who take calls from the public, like Martha and I, we find sometimes that we have an impression of our callers, and then maybe we'll see their personal website and we'll go, "What? No." <laughs> Particularly if they call us and say, say, you know, my main job is an English teacher, and we go to their website, and we find out that they walk on the high wire and breathe fire, you know? And some people, <laughs> they do stuff like that. So be yeah. a picture of them in tights, that are, you know, performing them <laughs> on the stage somewhere. Right. What should we call the experience of finding out that your favorite radio personalities don't look like what you imagined? Yeah. If you've got some suggestions for us, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hey, Lisa, thanks for calling. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. bye-bye. Thank you, Lisa. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got a question about language, linguistics, grammar, punctuation, spelling, what to say, what not to say, the rules, and so forth, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. That's one eight seven seven wayward Or you can try us on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. talking earlier about exclamation marks, and I guess part of the reason I'm self-conscious about using them is that so many writers have advised against them. Get a load mm-hmm. of these. Elmore Leonard said of exclamation marks, you are allowed no more than two or three per 100,000 words of prose. And F. Scott Fitzgerald said, cut out all those exclamation marks. An exclamation mark is like laughing at your own jokes. Oh, I solely agree with that. I, I think there's a place for exclamation marks in, say, emails or handwritten notes, but in literature, they should be very scarce. Okay, we can agree on that. If you've got opinion on punctuation, let us know how you feel about the semicolon, the exclamation mark, the M dash, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send an email, properly punctuated or not, to words at waywardradio.org. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Martha Barnett. And I'm Grant Barrett, and holy moly, I can't believe it. Look at this. It's John Chinesky and Greg Pliska, both quiz guys. Oh, you're my s- gosh. You're seeing double. <laughs> it's oh, true. John is doing the robots, <laughs> and Greg is breaking. You're hearing popping, double. Popping and locking. It's amazing. If the two of you are here, mm-hmm. you must have something planned. No, you know what? We thought we'd stop by and annoy you with yet another game from my book, Super Party Games. Uh-huh. Remember that, that I thing that I did? Oh, now you, you're deprecating there, but it's a nice book. But it's, it's a good great. book. Yes. It actually works, Thank right? For, it, people all over have told me what a great book it is. Super Party Games. It holds up all the other books on I my went shelf. To a, really I went to a well. funeral the other day. Amazing with your book. Everybody at a funeral <laughs> loves. The mixer is especially good for a funeral. 
<laughs> We're going to play a version of a party game called Chain Reaction. Now, it's very simple. Two of us will have a list of items, people, places, events, things, and they will have to get a third person to guess those items. Now, the two clue givers will describe the item, but they'll do it one word at a time. For example, if the answer is balloon, Greg and I might say, This object contains air and is found at a birthday party. Got it? Got oh, it. Oh, oh, understand? Your great uncle who talks too much. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that no. guy, right. That's hot air. <laughs> now, be aware there are two challenges to this. First, the two clue givers, who are going to be me and Greg, we have no idea what each other will say. So if we are cluing balloon and I say Macy's, Greg has to figure that I'm going for Thanksgiving day parade or otherwise hilarity will ensue and it very well we don't want that to happen wait yeah no the second (laughs) challenge is that the clue must be in the form of a valid sentence you can't just spew out words like uh, air latex inflate helium right nothing like that okay what a a party that must have been though right (laughs) (laughs) cheap my invite got lost in the mail now um We'll take a minute. We'll see how many we can get in a minute. You so want. you two are first going to quiz Martha, and then the two of you are going to quiz me, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, okay. okay. Martha, is you're on your own, correct. and right. we'll see how it goes. All right. Sure. Are we ready? Yes. And let's go. This cartoon character Casper the Friendly Ghost. A dog. <laughs> Charlie Brown. And a helmet. Scooby-Doo's dad. uh a dog in a helmet. Uh, sergeant. N- new sentence. This <laughs> cartoon character is a army guy. Beetle Bailey. That's there it. Oh, Here's the next one. You start. This plane is where the Spain. president flies. Air Force One. <laughs> right. Very good. This, this web tool can... Be used to find many Google things. Yes. <laughs> Here's the next. This part of a newspaper is classified where? ads, editorials, comics, front page. Mm. Oh, okay. And there's the one minute. Okay. I think we should give her uh, the <laughs> answer. <laughs> we were looking for op-ed page. Oh, that's but, ah, editorials. Editorials. Is, that's editorials includes two letters from the correct answer. That's good enough. <laughs> <laughs> Anything is what? Wow, Mark, 20% is fine. How many did did I get? get? Four was that? Four. 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 Big four. All right. Now we'll give to Grant. I'll begin. Ready, set, go. This form of intercourse is conversation, talk, chatter, speaking. Not sex, missionary. (laughs) Uh, Dangerous. And includes the condom. (laughs) <laughs> and, and safe sex yes there you go. Good. okay um, this is the temperature at which 212 0 32 water becomes ice <laughs> freezing good enough good freezing enough freezing point, point. Yeah. this is a famous painting which depicts scream a Mona Lisa lady yes <laughs> very good Next. This phrase is what you say when someone sneezes. Bless you, Gesundheit. Very, Very good. good. Bless you, yeah. Next one. This is a bunch. Oh, oh you're okay. eating up my time. <laughs> Sorry, it's a bunch. Uh, it's a bunch. Grapes. Brady's. This is a bunch. <laughs> bunch of letters. Which is what I was saying. It's a wor- can't say word. I was, it. it was passwords. Password. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was thinking of the game show. I thought oh, this is the game show. Problem right yeah. there. Oh, He's thinking of the game show. I'm thinking of getting onto right, well, my bank account. How'd we do there? How'd I do? Uh, One, two, three, four. Four. Same oh, four. Tie. Well, Martha, how about we gang up and we'll go two on two. These two take on both of us on a couple. All right. I Ooh. like it. Sure. Okay. So you can both, yeah. you can both right. answer. We'll see how I bet between the two of us, so we'll, we can knock down, say, seven. What do you think? I think so. Uh, I'll start. Ready, set, go. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three, go. These devices are worn on your teeth to braces. braces. Yes, yeah. braces. This guy calls out the uh, bids 
at auctioneer. auctioneer. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> thing we have to go, go to the word auction. Okay. Uh, these tiles are Scrabble. used in a game where you lay Scrabble, no? Dots no, next dots. to Dominoes. Yeah. Dominoes ah. is right. Next. This part of a plant was worn by Adam and Eve. Bigly <laughs> says next. <laughs> this guy asks for change on the panhandler. Yeah. Yes, next. This place is where you uh, find animals. Zoo. Zoo. Uh, or menagerie. Or the <laughs> person who takes <laughs> care of them. <laughs> right. Sorry, it was a farmhouse. Greg keeps animals in his farmhouse. Well, you know, in some places problem. they keep, you know, cows in kitchens in the lower level, or chickens in the lower level, and the family lives there upstairs, right? Yeah. That was one, two, three, four, five. Okay. Not bad. Okay. okay. Well, we did good. do better as a team, Martha, That's than we true. did individually. We did. Yeah. I think it's fair just to point out that it's it's also the strength of the cluers that allows you guys. Like if well, if yeah. you only got three, it would be our fault. But no, <laughs> no, that's brilliant. It's this was an immense fun. Yeah, this right? is great. We're just going to stay here for the rest of the show. If this you don't would mind. be a good car game. I could see listeners playing this oh, on the way to yes. their holidays, right? Because you just whisper the word to your your partner yeah. and right. let the person up front guess it. Right, right, right. gentlemen. You. It's been fun, and thank you so much for coming. It's very nice to be and here. As again. always, we're both entertained and educated. Thank you, Martha. Thank you. If you've got a question about language, linguistics, grammar, punctuation, spelling, you name it, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or email us at words at waywardradio.org. Hi, you have a way with words. Hi, my name is Rachel, and I'm calling from Baraboo, Wisconsin. Well, hello, uh, Rachel. Wisconsin. To Baraboo, and Wisconsin. Yeah. If we came to Baraboo, what would you show us? Well, there's a Circus World Museum here that's Ooh. pretty popular. It's where the Ringling Brothers... Um, I think, made their winter camp. Oh, their winter so camp? So I think that's Baraboo's claim to fame. It's about an hour north of Madison. Wait a minute. The Ringling Brothers spent the winters there and the summers in Florida? I believe so, yeah. What's wrong with this picture? Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, welcome to the show, Rachel. What can we do for <laughs> Thank you? Thank you. Well, I was curious about the word Davenport. My grandmother always called her couch a Davenport. And I wondered where that came from and if there's a difference between the two things and um, just what its origins were. Mm-hmm. Hmm. And what do you call it? Do you still call uh, it a Davenport? A couch, okay. No, I or so- call it a couch. Do you sofa? Um, no, not too often. I think my family does. But my grandmother came from Oklahoma, um, Enid, Oklahoma, and she was born there just, just as it had become a state in 1907. And so I didn't know if it was sort of a southern thing or I, I know nothing about the word. And I recall asking her, and I think she said, well, this is just what I've always called it. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, that would fit the time frame because, Rachel, there was a furniture company in um, Massachusetts around that time that made Davenports, and it was the A.H. Davenport Furniture Company. So it seems to be a trade name and sort of like frigid air and fridge, it, it went on to become just a regular term. But was it called couch at the same time or sofa during that same era and it was just this person's make? Well, you know, I think couch and sofa became popular a little bit later. You know, if you look at dialect maps, you see Davenport sort of all across the uh, the top half of the United States. It's really not quite as southern as you might expect, but it's it's pretty well distributed geographically. But what's weird is that I think it in terms of of uh, chronological time, I think it's distributed a little bit differently. I don't hear it that much anymore. Yeah. I heard one other person use it. In the past, I don't know, six months or something. And then when I was listening to your program, I thought, I'm calling. I'm oh. going to find out. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much. Good right, talking bye-bye. with you. Bye-bye. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Well, if you've got a question about something your grandma used to say, let us know. We'll also tackle things related to linguistics and language and grammar and spelling and punctuation and you name it. Give us a call, one eight seven seven wayward That's one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is uh, Barry Samsula from Plano, Texas. I have a question for you. I um, work at a radio station in Dallas. It's a classical radio station, 
And um, I keep hearing the word gala quite frequently, and it kind of bothers me a little bit because I think it should be pronounced gala. And I was wondering if you could clarify it for me. Uh huh. You mean like a festive occasion? Yes, yes. I hear gala, I hear gala, I hear gala. And uh, I'm just not sure which one is correct and uh, would like to know for sure before I stick my uh, foot in my mouth. Uh-huh. So you're inclined to call it gala? I grew up in uh, Nebraska, mm-hmm. and uh, as far as I know, that's the only pronunciation I've ever heard up there. But um, now that I've moved down to Texas, I hear gala quite frequently. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what? This is one of those frustrating words because there are so many different ways that you can pronounce it correctly. Yeah, you'll find most dictionaries will report that there are two different pronunciations, and you've said both of them, gala and gala. I think you're safe with gala. I think that's probably the one that's slightly more common as well, and certainly the one that comes with uh, no stigma attached. Well, I have to admit, uh, I went online to the uh, Merriam-Webster's online dictionary, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and they actually listed all three pronunciations, but um, the first listing was gala. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that, because you'll find gala as the first pronunciation listed in most of the major North American dictionaries. But you know what? I think a lot of people don't realize that just because it's the first pronunciation listed, it doesn't mean that that's the most common. Really? Often, no, it doesn't. As long as a pronunciation is given in a dictionary, it means that it's okay to use it. Okay. So, so any one of them, any of them will serve you. I think gala is just fine. I think gala is fine, but I think gala actually is going to be just a little, a little more traditional. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you very much. Sure. All right, Barry. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling, Barry. All right, Good luck. Take care. Bye bye. Thank you. If you've got a job that requires some kind of linguistic knowledge and you need some help with that, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three. Doesn't every job require linguistic knowledge? I, I guess think it, it does. does. <laughs> you have to read and write and speak. Or email us words at waywardradio.org. In a recent issue of the academic journal American Speech, John Considine has done some legwork and proposes a new origin for the word blotto, as in he started drinking at five and was blotto by dinner time. Really? Blotto, B-L-T-T-O. You probably know this term, right, Martha? Sure. Not, not. <laughs> you know what it's I mean. It's on my driver's license. If she's blotto, take her home. This is her address. No, but we have many words for drunk in English, right. and this is and just one of them. Th- I know them from dictionaries, yes. This one dates from about the World War I or so, maybe a little earlier. There were a lot of different theories about Blatto, but he thinks he's got new information. Considine says that he thinks it comes from a company named Blatto Frères. That's Blatto Brothers. It's a French company that made a three-wheeled delivery vehicle that was known to be dangerous and erratic. And so in this very interesting article, just loaded with historical detail, he supposes that people used the name of this company to refer to acting erratically when you're drunk. So by transfers. And the thing is, I won't go into the detail, but it's not the first time that a vehicle's manufacturer has lent its name to some other kind of slang word. Mm, Don't tell me. Let me guess. Oh, I, I'm, I'm going to have to read it. It's in the spring 2009 issue of the Journal American Speech, and we will, of course, post a link to it online. All right. And in the meantime, you can always call us, one 929 to discuss language or send us an email, words at waywardradio.org. Hello, you have a way with words. Hello. Uh, this is Joyce Fleming, and I'm calling to ask uh, if, you, if you all have heard this uh, slang expression, Rattle your dags, and that it's spelled R A T T L E, and then your, and then dags, D A G S. Rattle my dags? No, rattle your dags. Rattle your dags. Where would I hear this? Is this something? Is this something you'd say um, on a farm in the city at work? Where would I hear this? Anywhere. Anywhere. And would I say it to an enemy or a friend? To anybody. Oh. And Joyce, where are you? I'm in Fort Worth, Texas, or I'm in, and actually I live in North Richland Hills, which is a suburb of Fort Worth. Right. Oh, okay. 
Okay, so so is this an expression that um, comes from North Texas, or would I expect no, to hear this? No, it didn't uh? come from North Texas. Um, you want me to tell you where it came from? Where did you pick this up? From my husband. He's deceased now, but he he was from New Zealand. Uh, he lived in New Zealand all of his life, and he came over here when he was 68 and took a bus tour of the United States, and I met him on the tour and got married. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's a nice story. And we were married 27 years. And he died. He's ninety-five. Oh, that's a good long haul. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. The first time he said it to me, I didn't have any clue what he was talking about, but it sounded funny to me. So I questioned him, and um, and he told me, you know, where the the origination of it. When was that? What happened when he said that to you? Well, he meant for me to hurry up. Uh-huh. In other words, rattle your dags means to hurry. Well, now, Joyce, did he give you any idea about... Yeah, well, he explained it to me, and, I, and I'll explain it to you if you want me to, if you can't oh, figure sure. it out. I thought it was cute when I found out what, what, how it came about. When sheep, sometimes, if they're not shaved around their little bottom, when they poo, they, it gets on the, the dags, around, you know, on the, the wool. Okay. Well, they call them dags, D-A-G-S. I'm, and right. it, it hardens in the sun, and it... it and so when they run, it, it rattles, you know, because yeah. they'll have more than one, and it'll rattle, and they clink, clink together. And, and, and so the fact that they're running, they, they said, you know, they say rattle your dags when, you're, when they want you to, a person wants you to hurry and get somewhere. They, that's what they say. So the sheep, if we can say, if we use a colloquial expression, have dingleberries on their hind ends. And right, right, right. They become so hard uh-huh, that when they run, it sounds like gravel clanking. Right. That's exactly uh, right. Yeah, I'm looking here, and I'm seeing in a variety of dictionaries uh, that it's also used in Australia. It's more common in New Zealand. And interestingly enough, um, the term has kind of not only – it's gone from referring to dingleberries, which is probably not a very nice thing to call somebody No, to, they, they call it, them dags. Dags, that's, that's right. New yeah. Zealanders. Yeah, I like dags better. Short for daglocks, kind of like uh, dreadlocks. Right, um, right. But it can also mean an eccentric person or someone who's a character – or um, someone who has a good sense of humor. So the, the slang term has kind of taken all these different roads, and it's popped up with different meanings here and there. Well, see, and I've, I've never heard of the other meetings. That's the only one I ever knew. Rattle your dags, Martha. We're going out. <laughs> this has been a fantastic call. Thank you so much for giving us a ring. You're welcome. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. If you have a question about language, give us a call, one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or you can always send an email to us. That address is words at waywardradio.org. Support for Away With Words comes from National Geographic Books, publisher of I'm Not Hanging Noodles From Your Ears, a collection of intriguing idioms from around the world by Jag Bala. Learn more at shopng.com slash noodles. You're listening to Away With Words. I'm Grant Barrett. And I'm Martha Barnett. I just finished a book that's a fantastic treat for language lovers. It's called Dreaming in Hindi by Catherine Russell Rich. A few years ago, she was a magazine editor in New York, but then her life, as she writes, buckled out from under her. She survived a grueling battle with breast cancer. She lost her job. She ended a romantic relationship. And with her world falling apart, she writes, I no longer had language to describe my own life, so I decided to borrow someone else's. She became obsessed with Hindi, so obsessed that she went to India to study it for a whole year. And her book is one of the best descriptions I've seen of trying to learn a language in midlife, of watching that new world form word by word. In Hindi, you drink a cigarette. Night doesn't fall, it spreads. People don't sunbathe, they eat the sun. And acquiring a second language, Rich says, is like being rattled into new sight. And as she's stumbling about in this new vocabulary and this new grammar, she absorbs a whole other culture in fits and starts. Now, this is a book that reads like a novel. She hangs out with royalty in palaces. She volunteers at a school for the deaf. And she ends up singing in Hindi in this wacky version of American Idol there. 
And along the way, Rich becomes fascinated with the academic field known as Second Language Acquisition, or SLA. And in the book, she interweaves interviews that she did subsequently with linguists and neuroscientists about the workings of language in the brain. And Grant, she talks about things like how languages compete for space in the cortex of people who are bilingual. It's fascinating stuff. Yeah, it's very interesting. It reminds me of an article that I read recently in, uh, I guess it's LiveMint.com, which is uh, some kind of project associated with the Wall Street Journal. And there's a fellow there, and I'm sorry, I'm going to mispronounce this name, but it's M-U-K-U-L-K-E-S-A-V-A-N, who wrote a long story about himself and his father and the languages that they spoke. And he's Indian. Mm -hmm. And the title of the article, of course, is very charming as well, Do Anglophones Paddle in the Shallows? And what he was talking about was whether or not Anglophone Indians really were completely Indian. Did they need Hindi or one of the other many Indian languages in order to feel truly Indian? His father, for example, spoke six or seven languages and described himself as uh, someone who spoke English in half a dozen languages, meaning that he didn't speak English very well, but he spoke it with all the inflections of all the other languages he spoke. It's just really interesting. Uh, This fellow... Kasavan? Kasavan? I don't know. But this fellow writes, Hindi shrank from being his first language to being his worst subject, a subject taught with near ghoulish badness by a gaggle of women with large hooped earrings and Punjabi accents. Reading this and thinking about what you had to say about this, what sounds like a remarkable book, it, it, it occurs to me that both sides of this equation, both the person learning English um, who is uh, born speaking Hindi or other Indian languages and the reverse, somebody born speaking English and who learns Hindi, they both have something to learn from each other, but there's something to be lost as well, right? Right. And he talks at the end of that article about what language do you cry out in when you stub your toe at night is probably still that native language, but so many of those writers end up writing in English for a larger audience. Right, right. It's a part of their um, their financial responsibilities to themselves, right? right? Because more people are going to read it if it's written. In, and certainly it'll, it will reach the shores of the UK and the United States where perhaps the article will um, allow career advancement that might not otherwise be possible. Right. Well, it's fascinating stuff. We'll link to both of those things on our website, the article that Grant mentioned and uh, information about that book, Dreaming in Hindi by Catherine Russell Rich. Hello, you have a way with words. Hi, this is Daryl from Seattle. Well, hi, Daryl. Welcome to the program. Thanks. What can we Uh, do for you? Well, I heard somebody talking about uh, wanting to have different job responsibilities because they didn't want to become pigeonholed. Mm -hmm. And, well, I know what that means, but it just struck me as a weird-sounding phrase. And I was wondering where in the world that comes from because... Pigeons don't have holes in them, and you wouldn't put a pigeon in a hole. So I thought I would call you. <laughs> so no no theories of your own about this, huh? Not really. It just seems so strange. I just couldn't come up with anything. Mm-hmm. What kind of desk do you sit at, Daryl? Uh, just a regular old cube. Does it have uh, any kinds of slots or drawers or slats or shelves or anything on top of it? Oh, yeah. I've got shelves and drawers. Mm-hmm. Little little cubbyhole kinds of things to put uh, your post-its and that kind of thing? Do you have anything that's uh, open in the front and about the size of a business envelope that you can put things in? Um, not not specifically that size. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm headed, Martha, right? I do, and I have one more question for you. Have you ever hung out with pigeons? Well, no, but <laughs> I see them on the edges of buildings. Well, Daryl, here, here's the answer. People who raise pigeons put them in these compartments that are kind of like what Grant is describing, Um, you know, open in the front and little rows of little holes that the pigeons make their little nests in. That word meaning a place where you keep pigeons um, has been around since the 16th century, I think. And then things that, that were modeled after that, like when I was in high school for a couple of summers, I worked in a seminary post office, and we had what looked like pigeonholes. You know, it was a it was a structure where you sorted all the mail. You know, it had all these little compartments, and you would just put the letters in there. Well, it's modeled after uh, where people used to keep pigeons. 
Wow. So that's that's where the classifying kind of meaning comes from then. Yes. That's yes. interesting. So the people who raised domestic pigeons, they mo- they gave them little shelters that looked like the holes in cliffs that pigeons might otherwise live in, right? Right. Well and said. So, yes. And so those are shaped roughly like the shape of the boxes on the top of a desk. I'm thinking my father has a desk like this. It's got um, you know, a roll top kind of thing, and on the sides are three or four stacked little shelves that are about a letter. You know, they're as deep as a letter, open in the front. No, no, no lid or a drawer or any kind of um, cupboard happening there. And those are pigeonholes because they look the same. That's it, right? It, when and you use them for sorting, and one thing right, goes in one place, right. and one thing goes in the other place. And so, if you're pigeonholed, you're going to go into that one place and no place else. Right. You've got the hole for the bills to be paid, and the bills paid, and the bills never to pay. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and hopefully, the bills will fly away like pigeons. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and they tend to and they tend to crap on you like pigeons. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say. Well, does that well, make thanks. sense? Yeah. Oh, that makes perfect sense. It's not so strange anymore. Yay. <laughs> That's thank what we're here for. Thank you for calling then, Daryl. <laughs> All right. Thank All you. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Did you hear something and you're not quite sure where it comes from? Give us a call. The number is one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three, or send us an email to words at waywardradio.org. And you can find past episodes and more about our show on our website at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi, this is Helen from San Diego. Hello, Helen. Welcome. Hi, Helen. Well, I have a question. Um, I was wondering, I have a theory for the term, where the term golden parachute came from, and I was wondering if I could run it by you. Sure. And by golden parachute, you mean what? Well, the, the, the large severance packages that executives give themselves when they get fired. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that they're guaranteed not to fail. Right. Mm-hmm. Guaranteed not to fail. <laughs> right. Well, what's your theory, Helen? Well, I was just, I was thinking about the crash in 29 and how my parents had told me that people jumped off of buildings or they walked out of their, you know, high story windows because they were so devastated. And, you know, that's a tragedy by itself. But I was thinking, would the term parachute have come from there? Because... If somebody said, well, what are you going to do if it fails? You'd say, well, I have a parachute, and it's made of gold. <laughs> so I don't know go. if that makes any sense. Hmm. Well, it's not a bad theory. It's it's doesn't really explain the term, though, unfortunately, Helen. Oh. <laughs> well, and, and I think I remember reading that those stories of people jumping out of windows were kind of apocryphal, right? Is that true? I think I think I read something about those being an urban legend. I'd have to look it up. Hmm. But I wonder, I wonder if it happened more than once. Yeah. I don't know. I, I I thought there were a lot of them, and I thought it was so sad, you yeah. know, that their lives weren't built on more than that, or that they were so short-sighted. So I don't know if it's true or not. But yeah, it seems uh, you know, well, so, and, and, and I mentioned to a friend, and they said you should ask away with words. Well, let's they let's, were take, right. let's take a look at this. So, golden parachute means. Uh, that somebody can be fired, and according to the contract that they have with their company, and they're a senior executive of some sort, maybe even the head of the whole company, the CEO or president, if they're fired, they still get paid a big chunk of money, right? So if they're employed, they get a big paycheck. If they're fired, they get a big check, right? So either way, they win, and that's what they mean by golden parachute, which is you're, you're leaving under very desirable conditions. By golden, we don't mean that it's heavy and it's made out of a heavy gold. We mean that it's... um. It's glittery and golden and lovely, and everything is and it's rich and it's you know it's got money everywhere and it's a good positive thing. So, the earliest origin that I know of for this term, and I'm I'm a hundred percent sure this is popularized the term, and I'm pretty sure that this is where the term originated, was the 1973 book "What Color Is Your Parachute?" and it was by Richard Bowles, Richard Nelson Bowles. It's B O L L E S. And in, in the book, he talks about all the different ways as a business person that you can ensure that if something should happen to the company you're leading, that you don't come out with, with nothing, you know. He talks about negotiating your contract, negotiating with um, your potential employer, negotiating while you're employed, just making sure that you win. It's a win-win for you to take another p- piece of business jargon. It's a win-win all the way down the line. So we don't really see the term golden parachute show up much before the 70s? No, uh, no, we don't. As a matter mm-hmm. of fact, I don't. I have not found any instances of it before 1973 in Bowles' book. Uh-huh. Uh, there, however, since then, we do find, and maybe you know some of these, Helen, some other terms which kind of pattern on golden parachute. Have you ever heard of the golden handshake? No. 
No. <laughs> well, a golden handshake is very similar. This is where somebody is encouraged to retire. And it, as an encouragement, they're offered all kinds of uh, um, departure gifts. Uh, not quite severance because they're not fired, but they're encouraged to go under their own power rather than to be fired. And there are things like golden handcuffs. These are the benefits that you might get for working for a company, excellent bonuses and benefits that keep you at the job even though you would otherwise leave. And a golden hello, maybe you know that one. This is a term I think they use in baseball as well. It's a signing bonus. Aha. The one I've seen is golden bungee. Right. That one's a little rarer, but that means that you're let go. You get a severance package, and as part of the deal, you are somehow still affiliated with the company, and you still get like a regular consultant's fee. Right. You kind of went and kind of came back, which is where the bungee reference comes in. Exactly. I love that, Golden Bungee. (laughs) Thank you very much. You're welcome. Glad to talk about it. Okay, Helen. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. If a phrase has caught your ear and you're curious about it, give us a call, 1-877-929-9673, or send an email to words at waywardradio.org. Hello. You have a way with words. Hi. My name is Philip. I'm from the Fort Worth area. Hi, Philip. Welcome to the show. Thank you. What's on your mind? I I have a strong feeling about uh, the... What I'm perceiving as a them and us uh, attitude that's becoming more prevalent in, uh, in society. Frequently, I hear in my daily routine that uh, of what I feel are derogatory comments from the news media. Uh, for an example, this morning um, at 7:30, I heard Miss Carol Van Dam of Public Radio uh, presenting something about the President of the United States say, "Mr. Obama," and this is not the first time. Uh, it bothers me because when I was a child and I attended public schools, I distinctly remember that my teachers insisted that, when appropriate, that we utilize titles when referring to anybody. I think that a formal title generally denotes a scope of authority. It provides a, a way to professionally identify activity or academic accomplishments so that specifically uh, designation becomes as much of an integral part of an individual's identity as the proper name themselves. So when we address uh, the president, we're not only talking about the president, President Obama, but we're also respecting the title, the office of the presidency. So I believe that the media could provide a directional moral compass and set an achievable standard by Uh, modifying or going back to our basic roots of utilizing proper titles. Well, Philip, you're talking about the media, and you're talking about what we called, when I worked in newspapers, the second reference. Is that right? Like, you talk about President Obama, and then later down in the story, you talk about Mr. Obama? Well, um, I I hear uh, the use of Mr. Obama or Mr. Kennedy, as opposed to President Obama. I believe that any time we are referring to an individual refers to the president or the presidency, it should be a title bestowed upon that person, and that is based on, on a lifetime achievement. There's an article from 1891 that appeared in a newspaper that's no longer published uh, called the Washington Star. And in this, they're addressing advice to the public on what to call the president. And uh, people were calling him Dear General. They were calling him Excellency. They were calling him Your Honor. People did not know how to address the president. So they were calling him all sorts of things. Dear General. Dear General. But it's really interesting. There was also, uh, this might interest you, there was an article by Judith Martin in the Washington Post in January of this year, right at the time of the inauguration. And Judith Martin, as you may know, goes under the name of Miss Manners. And she yep. had questions from readers saying, look, what is the deal with this? Why, why don't people always call him you know, President Obama or always call him Mr. President? Why do they sometimes call him Mr. Obama? Or for that matter, with the, his predecessor, why did they call him Mr. Bush? And she has some really interesting things to say. And one of them is this story. It's a A bit of an old story, but when George Washington was first elected president, as our first president, he wanted to be called his high and mightiness. Oh, my goodness. But the people around him said, look, you know, we we got rid of, we threw one yoke off. We threw off the the monarchy, and we don't want another person who thinks that they're all that, to use modern speak. 
So let's just call you the president as if you were the president of a large corporation. And, and I've always had a – this is a personal opinion of mine and I, I can't back it up except with emotion and feeling. I've always had the impression that the office of the presidency was no better than the man or no worse than the man holding it. Does that make sense? And it's not yep. the offices that's due the respect. It's the individual. And that individual must earn that respect. It's clear that you put a lot of thought into these questions, and I think this is more than I can answer. I'm cer- certain our other listeners have questions about this, and I, we'd love to take your comments about this on our discussion forum at waywardradio.org slash discussion. I'm not sure that we're all ca- we've caught up with you yet, though, because uh, it sounds like something you've been mulling over for quite a while. I've, I'm very passionate about respect, especially for our government and our leaders. Yes. Well, thank you so much for calling. We're really glad to have you broach this subject. I don't think we've ever talked about this before. No, have I we, don't Martha? think so, no. And, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time out of your day to explain exactly what's uh, in your heart. Thank you very much. I appreciate your time and another opinion. Thank you, Philip. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We welcome your thoughts on this this subject. We'll open up a discussion on the forums at waywardradio.org slash discussion. And, of course, you can always call us at one eight seven seven nine two nine nine six seven three or email us at words at waywardradio.org. Things have come to a pretty pass. That's our show for this week. Support for our program comes from Mosey Online Backup. Got data? Visit mozy.com. If you didn't get on the air today, you can leave us a message at any time. The number is one 929 9673 Or email your questions to words at waywardradio.org. Or join the conversation right now on our discussion forum. You'll find that at waywardradio.org slash discussion. Stephanie Levine is our senior producer. Our technical director and editor is Tim Felton. Tim also engineered our theme music. Kurt Conan produced it. We've had production help this week from Michael Bagdasian and Josette Herdell. From the Argo Network in New York City, I'm Grant Barrett. And from Studio West in San Diego, I'm Martha Barnett. Ta-ta. Ciao luego. Yes, you like potato, and I like potato, you like tomato. Thank you for listening to the program today. I want to tell you, though, before we go, that Away With Words is independently produced and distributed. That means we depend on you to help us pay for the cost of producing the show. Consider making a contribution to help keep this program strong. Just go to waywardradio.org slash donate. Thanks.